body aches at bedtime? Sierra Sil is a natural mineral supplement that supports joint health, calms inflammation, and we're so sure it'll work for you as it has for me and my husband for over 10 years. It has a money-back guarantee. Go to sierrasil.com, S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L, and use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to DRIFT. Made possible by Envy Pillow, my sleeping beauty for over 20 years. The Canadian designed copper infused Envy Pillow aligns your spine and neck and prevents those lines that sleeping on our face brings. Learn more in the morning at Envy, E N V Y, pillow.com. As good for you as it is Mother Earth. Tonight's tale is one by the wonderful author Edith Nesbitt, edited here for you in this drift sleep story. And you'll soon learn why this late 19th and early 20th century author has inspired some of the best-known fiction writers of our time, too. Before we enjoy The Ice Dragon, or do as you are told... Let's take a few moments to relax and get in the right spot in bed. Find that perfect place where you're cozy and safe, warm and comfortable. Get your pillow into just the right spot. And as you do, allow your head to sink into it. Relax your neck and shoulders and let your arms and legs feel heavy, your hips releasing their steady hold. Wiggle your toes and tell them good night. And then let your eyes close and relax your jaw. Now we're going to take a few deep breaths, taking in a cleansing breath on the inhale. And as you exhale, releasing all of the cares of the day. One more in. And out. Great. And if you're ready, me too. Let's drift. This is the tale of the wonders that befell on a December evening when George and Jane did what they were told not to do. There was a celebration of the prince cutting his first tooth with fireworks and torchlight processions. George and Jane looked at the fireworks in the backyards next door in their Forest Hill neighborhood and the ones at the Crystal Palace which were very glorious indeed. Jane and George were allowed to go out into the garden alone to let off their own small firework. Jane had put on her cape with a hood and her thick gloves. George had his overcoat with the three capes and his father's traveling cap with the sealskin pieces that come down over your ears. The children got up on the fence at the end of the garden to see better. And then they saw very far away 
where the edge of the dark world is, a shining line of straight, beautiful lights arranged in a row. Oh, how pretty, said Jane. I wonder what they are. George had been to school, so he knew that these were only the Aurora Borealis, or Northern Lights, and he said so. I wish we could see them nearer, Jane said. Considering you're eight, you haven't much sense. George kicked his boots against the fencing to warm his toes. It's half the world away, close to the North Pole, said George. And while I don't care a straw about the Aurora Borealis, I would like to discover the North Pole. It's awfully difficult and dangerous. And then you come home and write a book about it, with a lot of pictures, and everybody says how brave you are. Jane got off the fence. Oh, George, let's, she said. We shall never have such a chance again. All alone by ourselves, and quite late, too. I'd go right enough if it wasn't for you, George answered gloomily. But you know, they always say, I lead you into mischief. And if we went to the North Pole, we should get our boots wet. Oh, George, it doesn't look so very far. We could be back before they had time to get dreadfully angry. All right, said George. But remember, I don't want to go. So off they went. Now, during the winter, the Arctic regions come much farther south than they are marked on the map. And just when George and Jane were starting for the North Pole, the Arctic regions had come down very nearly as far as Forest Hill, so that as the children walked on, it grew colder and colder. And soon the fields were covered with snow, and there were great icicles hanging from all the hedges and gates. And the northern lights, they still seemed some way off. They were crossing a very rough, snowy field when Jane first noticed the animals. There were white rabbits and white hares, and all sorts and sizes of white birds, and some larger creatures in the shadows of the hedges that Jane was sure were polar bears and arctic wolves. There was a great hedge at the end of this field, all covered with snow and icicles, but the children found a place where there was a hole. And as no bears or wolves seemed to be just in that part of the hedge, they crept through and scrambled out of the frozen ditch on the other side. And then they stood still and held their breath with wonder. For in front of them, running straight and smooth right away to the northern lights, lay a great wide road of pure dark ice. And on each side were tall trees all sparkling with white frost, and from the boughs of the trees hung strings of stars threaded on fine moonbeams and shining so brightly that it was like a beautiful fairy daylight. The rows of trees went as straight as ruled lines away, away and away, and at the other end of them shone the aurora borealis. A signpost said, this way to the North Pole. Then George said, way or no way, I know a slide when I see one, so here goes. <laughs>
and he took a run on the frozen snow. And Jane took a run when she saw him do it. And the next moment, they were sliding away along the great slide that leads to the North Pole. The slide is made for the convenience of the polar bears, who, during the winter months, get their food from the Army and Navy stores. And it is the most perfect slide in the world. It runs downhill all the way, so that you keep on going faster and faster and faster. They went on and on in a beautiful white silence. But suddenly, it was shattered by a cry. Hey, you there, stop. Tumble for your life, cried George. And they tumbled off the slide and crawled to the snow at its edge. And there was a sportsman, dressed in a peaked cap and a frozen mustache. And he had a gun in his hand. You don't happen to have any bullets about you, said he. No, George said truthfully, but I have a firework, if that's any good. We could try, the sportsman replied, and held out his hand. The sportsman said he wanted the firework to kill the white grouse. And when they came to look, there was the white grouse himself, sitting in the snow, looking quite pale and worried and waiting anxiously for the matter to be decided one way or the other. George put the firework back in his pockets and said, no, it wouldn't be fair. I'm very sorry, but I can't. So there. The sportsman said nothing, only he shook his fist at the children, and off he went. The white grouse thanked them in a few pleasant, well-chosen words, and then they took a sideways slanting run and started off again on the great slide toward the North Pole and the twinkling, beautiful lights. The great slide went on and on, and the white silence wrapped around them as they slid along the white, icy path. Then, once again, the silence was broken to bits by someone calling, Hey, you there, stop. Tumble for your life, cried George and tumbled as before, stopping in the only possible way. And Jane stopped on top of him, and they crawled to the edge and came suddenly upon a butterfly collector. Excuse me, said the collector, but have you such a thing as a needle about you, a very long one? I have a hat pin in my hood, said Jane. Would that do? The collector told the children that he wanted the pin to stick through the great Arctic moth, a magnificent specimen, he added, which I am most anxious to preserve. Sure enough, there in the collector's butterfly net sat the great Arctic moth, listening attentively to the conversation. Oh, I couldn't, cried Jane, who opened the blue folds of the net and released the moth. When the collector saw that the moth was free, he seemed less angry than grieved. Well, well, said he, here's a whole Arctic expedition thrown away. What a thoughtless girl. So they went on, leaving him, trying to go uphill towards the Crystal Palace. When the great white Arctic moth had returned thanks in a suitable speech, 
George and Jane started sliding again, faster and faster, and the lights ahead grew brighter and brighter so that they could not keep their eyes open, but had to blink and wink as they went. And then, suddenly, the great slide ended in an immense heap of snow. And George and Jane shot right into it, because they could not stop themselves. And the snow was soft, so that they went in up to their very ears. When they had picked themselves out and thumped each other on the back to get rid of the snow, they shaded their eyes and looked. And there, right in front of them, was the wonder of wonders, the North Pole. Towering high and white and glistening, like an ice lighthouse. All around the pole, making a bright ring about it, were hundreds of tiny fires. And the flames of them did not flicker and twist, but went up blue and green and rosy and straight, like the stalks of dream lilies. These flames were the aurora borealis, which the children had seen as far away as their neighborhood of Forest Hill. It's like a dream, said Jane. And George said, it is the North Pole. And just think of the fuss people always make about getting here. And it was no trouble at all, really. I shall try to climb up and plant the flag on the top. When they got close to the clear, tall, beautiful flames, they saw that there was a great, queer-shaped lump of ice all around the bottom of the pole. Smooth, shining ice that was deep, beautiful Prussian blue, like icebergs in the thick parts, and all sorts of wonderful, glimmery, shimmery, changing colors in the thin parts, like the cut glass chandelier in Grandmama's house in London. It is a very curious shape, said Jane. It's almost like she moved back a step to get a better view of it. It is a dragon. I can see its wings. Whatever shall we do? And sure enough, it was a dragon. A great, shining, winged, scaly, clawy, big-mouthed dragon made of pure ice. It must have gone to sleep curled around the hole where the warm steam used to come up from the middle of the earth. And then, when the earth got colder, the column of steam froze and was turned into the North Pole. The dragon must have gotten frozen in his sleep, frozen too hard to move. And there he stayed. And though he was very terrible, he was very beautiful, too. Jane said so. But George was busy thinking how to get onto the pole without waking the brute. And as the children stood there, looking at the most wonderful sight their eyes had ever seen, there was a soft padding of feet and a hurry scurry behind them. And from the outside darkness, beyond the flame stalks, came a crowd of short brown creatures, running, jumping, scrambling, tumbling head over heels and on all fours, and some even walking on their heads. They joined hands as they came near the fires and danced around in a ring. It's bears, said Jane. I know it is. 
Oh, how I wish we hadn't come. And my boots are so wet. The dancing ring broke up suddenly. And the next moment, hundreds of furry arms clutched at George and Jane. And they found themselves in the middle of a great, soft, heaving crowd of stocky, tiny people in brown fur dresses. Bears indeed, cried a shrill voice. You'll wish we were bears before you've done with us. Jane began to cry. Up to now, the children had only seen the most beautiful and wondrous things. But now they began to be sorry that they had done what they were told not to do. Don't cry for real, whispered George, or you'll freeze your eyes. But pretend to howl. It frightens them. So Jane went on pretending to howl, and the real crying stopped. It always does when you begin to pretend. Then, speaking very loudly so as to be heard over the howls of Jane, George said, Yeah, who's afraid? We are George and Jane. Who are you? We are the sealskin dwarfs, said the brown people. We are very precious and expensive, for we are made throughout of the very best sealskin. And what are those fires for? We are thawing the dragon, so that he will wake up and go and eat everybody in the world except us, just for fun. Jane stopped howling to say, you are heartless. And they all muttered as they came a step nearer. They were very fat and round. Their bodies were like sealskin jackets on a stout person. Their heads were like sealskin muffs. Their legs were like sealskin boas. And their hands and feet were like sealskin tobacco pouches. And their faces were like seals' faces, inasmuch as they, too, were covered with sealskin. The chief dwarf came quite close and said, What's that on your head? And George felt, oh, it was all up. His father's sealskin cap. It's made of one of us, he screamed. Or else one of the seals, our poor relations. Boy, now your fate is sealed. The dwarfs seized the children in their furry arms. They climbed up the dragon's side and dumped the children down on his icy spine with their backs against the North Pole. You have no idea how cold it was. The sealskin dwarfs tied George and Jane to the North Pole. And as they had no ropes, they bound them with snow wreaths, which are very strong when they're made in the proper way. And they heaped up the fires very close and said, now when the dragon gets warm and wakes, he will be hungry, and the first thing he will eat will be you. The sharp, many-colored flames sprang up like the stalks of dream lilies. But no heat came to the children, and they grew colder and colder. Oh, dear. Suddenly, there was a flapping of wings, and the white grouse perched on the dragon's head and said, can I be of any assistance? The children were too cold to speak. So the white grouse said, I am grateful for this opportunity 
of showing my sense of your decent conduct about the firework. And the next moment, there was a soft, whispering rustle of wings overhead. And then, fluttering slowly, softly down, came hundreds and thousands of tiny, white, fluffy feathers. They fell on George and Jane like snowflakes, and they grew into a thicker and thicker covering, so that soon the children were buried up to their faces under a heap of white feathers. Oh, you dear, good, kind white grouse, said Jane. But how will you stay warm? The grouse replied, oh, but there are hundreds and hundreds of us here, and every one of us can spare a small tuft of soft breast feathers to help to keep two kind young hearts warm. So now the children snuggled under the feathers and were warm. And when the sealskin dwarfs tried to take the feathers away, the grouse and his friends flew in their faces with flappings and screams and drove the dwarfs back. Just then came a new, strange, jerky fluttering of wings, far softer than the grouse's. And George and Jane cried out together, Oh, do mind your wings in the fires. For they saw at once that it was the great white Arctic moth. What's the matter? He asked, perching on the dragon's tail. So they told him. Sealskin are they, said the moth. Just you wait a minute. He flew off very crookedly, dodging the flames. And when he came back, there were so many moths with him that it was as if a live sheet of white wingedness were suddenly drawn between the children and the stars. And then the doom of the bad sealskin dwarfs was sealed, for the great sheet of winged whiteness broke up and fell as snow falls, and it fell upon the sealskin dwarfs and every snowflake of it was a live, fluttering, hungry moth that buried its greedy nose deep in the sealskin fur. The moths ate and ate and ate, till the sealskin dwarfs, being sealskin throughout, fell one by one on the snow, and so came to their end. And all around the North Pole, the snow was brown with their flat, bare pelts. Oh, thank you, darling Arctic moth, cried Jane. And off they all fluttered, and the white grouse flew off. And the sealskin dwarfs had perished, and the fires went out. And George and Jane were left alone in the dark with the dragon. Oh, dear, said Jane. This is the worst of all. We've no friends left to help us, said George. He never thought that the dragon himself might help them. But then again, that was an idea that would never have occurred to any boy. It grew colder and colder and colder. And even under the grouse feathers, the children shivered. When it was so cold that it could not manage to be any colder without breaking the thermometer, it stopped. And then the dragon 
uncurled himself from around the North Pole and stretched his long, icy length over the snow and said, This is better. How faint those fires made me feel. The fact was, the sealskin dwarfs had gone the wrong way to work. The dragon had been frozen so long that now he was nothing but solid ice all through, and the fires only made him feel as if he were going to die. But when the fires were out, he felt quite well and very hungry. He looked around for something to eat, but he never noticed George and Jane because they were frozen to his back. He moved slowly off, and the snow wreaths that bound the children to the pole gave way with a snap. And there was the dragon crawling south with Jane and George on his great, scaly, icy, shining back. Of course, the dragon had to go south if he went anywhere, because when you get to the North Pole, there is no other way to go. The dragon rattled and tinkled as he went, just like the cut glass chandelier when you touch it, as you are strictly forbidden to do. Lucky for George and Jane, the dragon took the right way and suddenly got his heavy feet on the great slide. Off he went, full speed, between the starry lamps, toward Forest Hill and the Crystal Palace. He's going to take us home, said Jane. Oh, he is a good dragon. George was glad, too, though neither of the children felt at all sure of their welcome, especially as their feet were wet and they were bringing a strange dragon home with them. They went very fast, because dragons can go uphill as easily as down. It is because dragons can get their tails into the fourth dimension and hold on there. And when you can do that, everything else is easy. The dragon went very fast, only stopping to eat the collector and the sportsman, who were still struggling to go up the slide. When the dragon got to the end of the slide, he crawled very slowly across the dark field and beyond, where there was a bonfire next to the next-door neighbor at Forest Hill. He went slower and slower, and in the bonfire field, he stopped altogether. The dragon began to melt and melt and melt. And before the children knew what he was doing, they found themselves sitting in a large pool of water, and their boots were as wet as wet, and there was not a bit of dragon left. So they went indoors. Of course, some grown-up or other noticed at once that the boots of George and Jane were wet and muddy, and that they had both been sitting down in a very damp place. So they were sent to bed immediately. It was long past their bedtime anyhow. <laughs> and that's the end of our story. It's past hours as well. Now drift off and sweet dreams. <laughs>